the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome, or welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program (laughs) where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible. We talk about world views and we talk about world religions. One of the world religions we do talk about is Islam. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I wanted to share some passages of Scripture about comfort. But again, the number, that if you want to join me on the air, is 303-873-1935. Many of you are familiar with the passage in Psalm 3418, where it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In Revelation 7.17, it says, The Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In Psalm 55.22, it says, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous fall. And so the Lord will sustain us. He'll wipe away tears. He's close to the brokenhearted. So if you find yourself in a difficult place, it doesn't mean God's far away. It could mean that he's closer than ever before. And of course, to me, Matthew eleven twenty eight is the answer to almost every single question that you can ask. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me, he says. So my advice often is, go to him. Jesus has come to me. And so it makes perfect sense. He's given you permission to go to him. In Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. The Lord's a refuge. Jesus gives us rest. He'll sustain us. He'll wipe away every tear. He's close to the brokenhearted. 303-873-1935. I was thinking about the five pillars of Islam. And so... If you can imagine, the obligations of Islam are very, very simple. So the obligations of Islam are to recite the shahada. The word shahada means to bear witness. And when reciting the shahada, you say, quote, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. Now, it's my understanding 
that saying the shahada with sincerity is all it takes to become a Muslim. The other obligations include to pray, salat. So a Muslim is required to say 17 cycles, rak'ah, of prayer each day. These cycles are spread over five times of prayer per day, dawn, noon, mid-afternoon, dusk, and two hours after sunset, hamada. So Muslims may pray either individually or in a group. They must wash themselves in a prescribed manner before praying, which is called ablution or wudu. When they pray, they have to face towards Mecca. That's the direction of prayer, and it's marked by the niche or mihrab in the mosque. So the noon service on Friday is the only time when Muslims are expected to gather together at the mosque. So the pillar to recite the shahada, to pray, and then to fast. This is in commemoration of Muhammad's receiving the Quran during the ninth lunar month of Ramadan. So Muslims are expected to fast during the daylight hours that month. And during the fast, they have to abstain from eating, drinking, smoking, sexual relations. And after sundown, Muslims are allowed to partake of all those things again until sunrise. And then the fourth is to give alms. This is called zakat. Muslims are commanded to give one fortieth, that's 2.5% of their income, primarily to the poor and the needy. And then the final pillar is to make pilgrimage, or what's called the hajj. So every Muslim has to make the trip to Mecca at least once during his or her lifetime, provided that he or she is able with respect to health and finance. So each pilgrim must wear the white garment, um, which has the effect of eliminating class and status distinctions during the Hajj. So there's a pilgrimage aspect. And then the process of visiting several sacred sites usually takes more than a week. So after the pilgrimage, the pilgrim is entitled to be referred to as Haji. In other words, Haji is that word which means the person has made the pilgrimage. So, if you ask a Muslim, can keeping the five pillars of Islam, is that sufficient to get me... Excuse me, Jim. Wow. I wish I had a little dump button, but I've got a little something going on here. But can keeping the five pillars of Islam get you to heaven? So how do you think about that? How do you think about that question? By the way, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303 8731935 303 8731935 um in in muslim belief they believe that you go to paradise when you die but 
a sinner has to face God's judgment. And so the hope becomes, will my faithfulness keep in keeping the five pillars outweigh my sins? So in Islam, there is that sense that if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you can experience admission. But there's also some other things that can give you a direct ticket to paradise. So imagine an observant Muslim keeps the five pillars of Islam, prays towards Mecca, recites the Shahada or the creed, brings bread and water, brings brings no bread or water during daylight in Ramadan. You're saving up your money for the pilgrimage to Mecca. You freely give all your alms to the poor. But you still keep asking yourself the question, is it enough? Is it enough? Hmm. Good question. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome or welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I did get a chance to uh, only see the trailer to Matt Walsh's documentary on what is a woman. He is uh, asking that question, and it's comical. It's comical to watch responses all across America. It's the question that you're not supposed to ask, and it's the documentary that they don't want you to see. And so uh, Matt Walsh made headlines when he kept asking the question, what is a woman? And many of you will remember that when uh, Supreme Court, well, candidate, then uh, who's now justice, uh, the, the, the most recent justice to the Supreme Court, was asked by in a Senate confirmation hearing, what is a woman? Her response was, I'm not a biologist. Several of uh, the current administration's candidates were asked that very simple question, many of them refusing or unable to answer the question. And it seems crazy. There was a time on this program when people would call me and they would ask me questions like about tongues. They would ask me questions about tongues, tithing, and baptism. And it seems almost absurd to be asked the question, what is a woman according to the Bible? But yet... It seems imperative because we live in a culture that is unwilling to do the most simple thing to talk about this. So according to the Bible, God made all human beings, men and women, in his image. 
So can you imagine in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So a woman is a person who's female, not male. Is it wrong to think of a female as a human being made in the image of God? I'm reluctant to use the word gender because gender is a word that's been hijacked. It was a word that was used to describe in language um, masculinity and, and femininity, if you will, a masculine form and a feminine form, but it has been hijacked to create the illusion of masculinity or femininity. So I think of a woman as a female human being made in the image of God. And of course, spiritually, men and women are equal in God's eyes. In what way? Well, in the way that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When Paul made that statement, he wasn't pretending there was no such thing as a Jew or no such thing as a Greek or no such thing as a slave or no such thing as a free, uh, free uh, um, male or female, no such thing. He wasn't talking about blurring the distinctions, but rather that those beings made in the image of God do not have a superior or inferior class. The understanding is that both reflect God's nature and character, but the two sexes possess separate, distinct, God-designed identities. And so we're living in a culture and a society that's having an identity crisis. I think it's safe to say that America's having an identity crisis, and so are Americans. But I think that possibly this has infected many in the church. So it's impossible to consider the definition of a woman in the Bible without also contemplating what it means to be a man. Since woman was created from the man, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him or suitable for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. That's Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. So as God was carrying out the task of creation, he observed only one thing that was not good. He creates the universe. It's good. He creates the stars and the planets, the birds, the bees. <laughs> the birds and the bees and the... what? How does the song go? 
the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon up above and a thing called love. Well, so he creates all these things and it's good. And it says, as there was only one thing that was not good. It was for the man to be alone in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper, fit for him or suitable for him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about this. So God made a woman in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 22, and the rib the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. Isn't this interesting? God took dirt, the earth, and created a man. But then God took flesh and made a woman. So the the Hebrew word, banah, translated made literally means built. So the woman is the only created being described as built by God, which I find fascinating. So as God carried out the task of creation, he creates, he makes a woman. And when God constructed the woman, he supplied what was lacking and necessary for a man's fulfillment or completion. So Eve was custom made to be Adam's corresponding opposite. Now, some people have wondered, well, why did he go to sleep? I think it's partly because God didn't want or need input from the man. So I'm sure it wasn't like Build-A-Bear where you go, I want blonde or red or brunette, or I want a little bit more upstairs or downstairs. That's not how it went. God creates Eve perfectly, whatever that means. And by the way, if you've ever seen a beautiful woman, Each beautiful woman you've ever seen reflects, in one sense, is a reflection of the original mother. So there is this sense, if you took not just a beautiful woman, but the most beautiful woman, and then you take all of the most beautiful women who have ever lived, and then you combine their beauty, I suspect now we're getting close to what Eve must have looked like. So, intrinsic in the biblical definition of a woman, made in the image of God, made from flesh, a gift, a compliment, fulfillment. That's what the Bible has to say about women. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Hey, I've just gotten a copy of my friend Lee Strobel's book, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Questions of Life. And in this book, um, he 
basically um, is asking that question, is God real? And he uh, talks to several people who I've had on this program, including uh, Dr. Doug Groteis who, uh, and uh, Stephen Meyer. Um, but in, in this um, book, Is God Real? Exploring Whether God is Real, he talks about the cosmos requiring a creator, and he talks to William Lane Craig. He talks about the universe needs a fine-tuner, and he talks with uh, Dr. Michael G. Strauss. And then he um, talks about our DNA demands a designer with Stephen Meyer. And then um, he talks about Easter showed that Jesus is God, speaking, of course, about the resurrection with Michael Lycona. And... um, and then, of course, Dr. Doug Groteis experiencing God. And then he does an interview with Chad Meister on which God is real. And then, of course, the challenge. If God is real, why is there suffering? And then another challenge. Um, if God is real, then why is he so hidden with Ken Samples, who's been on this program? So it sounds like a really good read, but it made me think about the question, is God real? And of course, the answer that some have suggested that God is imaginary or God is a virus or God is a delusion. And of course, the idea of God being a delusion is promoted by Richard Dawkins. And I had John Lennox on this program and we talked a little bit about um, his response to uh, Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. And um, he, of course, is the professor of the public understanding of science at Oxford. And in his 2008 book, The God Delusion, Dawkins labels God and belief in God as delusions. And so, of course, Richard Dawkins um, is a gifted writer and a gifted communicator. And his position at a leading university in the English-speaking world gives him a lot of prestige. And and even his critics um, understand that Richard Dawkins is smart. His atheism is fierce. The jacket of the God delusion calls the God of the Old Testament, his words, a sex-obsessed tyrant. And the deistic God of the 18th century enlightenment, a more benign but still illogical celestial watchmaker, according to Dawkins. So belief in God, says Dawkins, subverts science and knowledge, breeds ignorance foments bigotry, and abuses children. And according to Richard Dawkins, all this happens for the simple reason that God is a delusion. And not only are fundamentalists unintelligent for knowing their right because they have read it in a holy book, according to him, but even those moderate in faith Dawkins claims that this reinforces or fosters fanaticism. So how do you talk to him? How do you talk to people 
like a Richard Dawkins. Because there are plenty of intelligent answers to the suggestion, the assertion, the contention that God is a delusion and to his crusade against all things religious. So Dawkins firmly asserts that God is a delusion, but the Bible, he just as firmly asserts that God is not a delusion. So what I would say is, okay, so you have Dawkins who says God's a delusion, and the Bible, which says it's not a delusion. So David writes in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, when the Bible uses the term fool, are we to suggest that Richard Dawkins is a fool because he, he believes that God is a delusion? But when the Bible uses the word fool here, I think it, the word doesn't mean a stupid person. It means a person who's void of moral judgment. The Bible says they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. So David says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Fools who deny the existence of God are corrupt. Their deeds are corrupt. Their understanding is corrupt. They don't seek after God. So part of what the Bible seems to be indicating is that fools are looking for God the way a criminal is looking for a police officer. And note that the Bible and Dawkins are directly opposed to one another. Dawkins says there is no God, and the people who believe in God do terrible things. The Bible says, no, there is a God, and it's rather the people who deny God who do the terrible things. So the way I, I think I would answer the question is I would remind people that no, God is not a delusion. In an odd, ironic sense, atheism is the delusion. The Apostle Paul says that the reason people who deny God are able to gain and maintain such large followings like the new atheists, like Dawkins, is that the human race in general is lost in sin and in self-delusion. And we'll come back to that concept a little bit later. People naturally seek after those whose rhetoric reflects their own self-delusion. So those who deny God follow eagerly after Dawkins and his kind because they share a common hatred for God. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers 
to suit their own passions. The idea being they will discover people who will say what they want to hear. So the denial of God is the true delusion, a delusion that extends to the atheist view of humanity as good. All evidence to the contrary notwithstanding. So a sober assessment of human beings recognizes that we lie and that we cheat and we steal and we lust and complain. We exercise envy and hate and forget and that we're careless, ruthless, disrespectful, resentful, loveless. We're all those things naturally from birth. This is what God means when he says, there's no one who does good. We're so obviously sinful that it's silly to call human beings good. 303-873-1935. I can't wait to have me Strobel on. I hope he agrees to come on talk about his book is god real this is gino jerase hey welcome back ladies and gentlemen <laughs> 303-873-1935 that's the number if you want to join me on the program let's see who's up bruce welcome to the program hi bruce how you doing my dear brother i'm doing good I'm hoping it's fun. I hope it's fun to still listen. Yeah, I can still hear. Can't do much more than that. But I just got a text from my sister. She has some friends over in Israel Uh and Western soldiers. At their time right now, they're going in to try and uh, release or get some hostages free underneath a hospital. And they're texting out for prayer for the soldiers in this endeavor. Well, let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. And again, you know, again, when we when we think about the the incredible media mess where people where where Israel is going, how perverse is it to rape, murder, kill, kidnap? And then put them underneath a hospital and at, as a gigantic shield in order to um, – well, we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, wisdom and safety for the people who are making every effort to um, – to, to recover the, the captives. And Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray, we pray that each of the people who have been tragically, horribly, terribly, perversely stolen, that um, the Israeli special forces will be able to recover them. Lord, we know that, that the painful, painful circumstance that they face um is horrible, but we also pray that Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you will, you'll save them, that they'll be reconciled to their family, and um, that that Lord, that the people who did these horrible and terrible things will be punished. 
And so, again, Lord, we, we pray um, for the safety of, of, of the security forces. We pray for the s- safety of the hostages. We pray for the punishment of the evildoers. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, Bruce, I think we have to pray for all of those things, huh? Yeah, not only for them, but for this country. I refrain from calling you because I'm so upset at the moronic idealism that these people are showing in these protests. And I'm so glad that you've covered the history of the Palestinians right. and of the country. Uh, like I said, I have been listening, but... I'm really afraid to really get into it because I'm afraid I might say something that uh, would be right. irretractable. Right. And and you probably, if you've been listening to me talking about the history of the Palestinians and Gaza, aren't you a little bit shocked that no one else is, that there's no media outlet that's saying, let me spell it out for you, who they are, what they've done, and why this is important? Yeah, I think the only one that I've I've heard that's really, really concerned with this is Glenn Beck. Right. You know, I think yeah. of, the, of the scripture itself. In Deuteronomy 24, 7, it says, If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. This is what the scripture says. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. I have no, I have zero sympathy for the people who kidnapped those people. I don't either. I don't either. And and God will deal with them. uh, And uh, they'll, uh, (laughs) their false religion and beliefs will be extinguished from this earth. Well, again, um, I pray, I like, you know, I'm hoping that news will break shortly, huh? Wouldn't that be great that that the hostages have been recovered and they've been um, restored to their families? I, I know that literally dare I say, millions of people are praying for their safe return. Absolutely. Well, I thank you. Uh, Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I just wish I was well enough to get over when you're over at Longmont, but just haven't been able to do it, my brother. Well, I'm sorry, too. And I'm not going to be there this weekend because it's my anniversary. It's my wife and I's 40th anniversary. Well, well, God bless you. May may you and your wife enjoy that anniversary because it's a rare thing to see people married 40 years. They're lucky if they get four. Well, can you believe it? I'm thinking about I've been married as long as the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. There, there you go. I just hope you don't follow their path, though. Well, I, I hope not either. Hey, thank you for your... Okay, I'm still listening. I'm out there, and I'm praying for you. All right, thank you. 303-873-1935, I was talking about a little bit about um, Richard Dawkins and um, 
how he believes that God is a delusion. And, of course, according to the Scripture, (laughs) atheism is the delusion. That's the delusion. Because nobody teaches children to lie. You don't have to teach a teenage boy to lust. You don't have to teach an employee to resent their boss. You don't have to teach people to spread malicious gossip about coworkers. Nobody teaches the wife to unjustly criticize her husband or the husband to neglect his wife. We seem to do that pretty easily. In the sixth chapter of The God Delusion, entitled The Roots of Morality, Why Are We Good?, Dawkins explains why human beings are good. On what basis? On the basis of his own opinion. Despite the fact that there is no God who can define what is good. So in that sense, Dawkins is being intellectually consistent. If there is no God who has a standard of what constitutes good, then who gets to establish the standard? Well, Dawkins does. Not only does he reject the Bible's teaching, but he denies what is obvious to even the most casual observer of human nature and behavior. So, You have to wonder, on what basis would you come to the conclusion that human beings are basically good? So the ninth chapter of The God Delusion is called Childhood, Abuse, and the Escape from Religion. In that chapter, Dawkins replies to a question about clergy sexual abuse. Horrible as sexual abuse, no doubt, was the damage was arguably less than the long-term psychological damage inflicted by bringing the child up Catholic in the first place, he says on page 317. In other words, what he's basically saying is human beings are basically good even when they sexually molest children and that that is a moral high ground that that's morally higher than the than religion we have to find a new meaning of the word delusion if god is a delusion three zero well thanks for joining me it's gino dracy i'll be back hopefully tomorrow taking your calls answering your questions Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.